Ladies and gentlemen. And we're back. This is Drew Sitzwith. I am Drew. And today I'm joined with my grandpa and his brother Bob. Okay. Introduce yourselves. Yeah, I, I have one question. What was your name again? <laughs> Drew what? Drew Graff. No, what did you say it was? Drew sits with. That's what the show's called. Oh, okay. I'm sitting with I thought you were saying syphilis. I I, I didn't know for sure. <laughs> Excellent start. Okay. Go for it. Yeah. Drew sits with. That's what the show's called. Okay. I okay. You had me fooled. This is my uh, grandpa Bill. So, so after the show it's uh, sat with? Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh Papa Bill, you're yeah. the older brother. Right. You're the middle brother. Your your right. oldest brother Jack has passed away a couple years ago now. Right. Bob, you are six years younger? Four, four. years younger? Four. Four. Okay. You guys both grew up in Chicago. Right. Right? Let's tell some grown-up stories. What do you guys got? <laughs> what kind of story you want? Um, what about... Yeah, well, the, what age of being grown up? Yeah, yeah, right. Well, what's a good, like, playing kickball or something, or, you know, little kid? We didn't play kickball. We played kick the person. Yeah. yeah. What, we, high, what high school did you guys go to? Oak Park River Forest. Okay. Right. And uh, that's in the suburbs. Okay. We moved there from Chicago in 1955. And where did you live before then? In Chicago. What neighborhood? Well, close to Andersonville. Around Granville and Greenview. Okay. Excellent. For all you listening at home, go look that up. So you moved to Oak Park, and um, you guys always tell a story about how the first day of school. You were in a classroom, and he's reading the name. That wasn't in grammar school. That was in high school. That's high school. Okay. When, when I went to high school <coughs> as a freshman, they saw the name. I'm sitting in the back of the room. They said, come sit in the front of the room. Right. Hey. Go, Why is that? <laughs> they said, well, your name's, do you have a brother named Bill? Yeah. I said, yeah. And they said, sit in the front. Yeah. <laughs> or what about, um, what about your gym teacher? Didn't you have a... Good yes, relationship yeah, with him? Yes. When uh, <laughs> I was a freshman, I uh, went out for wrestling. And the wrestling coach was showing people different moves and things, and he wanted a volunteer. So he picks on me, and I go, I really don't want to be a volunteer. He, says, I want he was an asshole when I had him, so, too. So, so I wanted, he wanted to, you know, me to be a volunteer. So in wrestling, every move has a counter move. Right. Well, I have two older brothers that threw me all over the damn house all the time when I was little. So this guy grabs me, and I just did a counter move, and I flipped him right over on his ass. And uh, so everybody's laughing. You know, they flipped the gym coach. Right. So he does it again, and I did it again. So anyway, long story short, he didn't like me very much. And uh, as a freshman, he used to follow me after school. And see me uh, light up a cigarette. Yeah. Then he turned me in for smoking. Then when I uh, got a car and I would drive to school, you weren't allowed to drive, and I'd park a couple of blocks away. <laughs> He'd follow me and check out where my car was yeah. and turn me in. And then 
years later, I was a senior, and I, I always avoided this man completely. And when I was a senior, uh, I walked into a study hall, and he was there. And he wasn't supposed to be there. So I said, give me a library pass. And he says, no, no, you stay here. He says, you sit right here in front of me. So I'm sitting there. And then while this is going on, he's mouthing off to me. And I'm you know, giving remarks back to him. And he comes up and he pokes me in the chest. And I said, don't do that. And he did it again. I said, you know, I, if you keep poking me, I'm going to poke you back. Yeah. And so he poked me again. And I flipped his hand up. And I took my fist and I whacked him right in the head. <laughs> and he went flying over a desk on right. his ass on the floor. And I just said, I'm going to my dean. So anyway, they, yeah. this happened about maybe uh, oh, two months before graduation. And uh, he tried to get it where I couldn't graduate. That's right. And uh, they threw me out of school for like two weeks. And my mother begged and pleaded. And so he took me back. And the dean came up. It would be just as well to have you leave so yeah, right. ahead, yeah, but mom played the game she said to him uh would you rather him repeat this year all over again or get rid of him right exactly and they came up with a solution you graduate him. <laughs> it's so crazy like this is a grown man he's <clears throat> picking on a kid you know essentially it's just weird you know well he was a like I said, he was the wrestling coach. He was a wiry kind he was, of He was an ex-Marine, supposedly. Kind of a skinny guy. Gotcha. And, um, you know, the average height. But uh, he was a jerk. Right. As you go through life, there are many jerks you run into. Yeah. <coughs> you also start realizing it's the same. A lot of people act the same way. You know, you're like, oh, I've seen that version of that asshole before, you know. Well, there's only so many versions of being an asshole you can do, you know? Yeah, that's true. Okay, so th another story I wanted for you to tell was when you got into your first gang fight. Oh, I was, uh, I think, 14. And I was uh, out. It was in the summer, and I'm coming home. And it's about 10 o'clock at night. And I'm walking through the door, and my father's walking out the door. And I said, well, where are you going this time of night? And he says, oh, a friend of mine, Ray, his car broke down. I'm going to help him. He says, you want to come with him? It's in the city. And I said, sure. So he and I go, and we're driving up to where Ray is, and we see Ray's car, and we see six guys standing around him. And one guy's standing there slapping Ray in the face. So my father stops the car, and we're maybe 200 feet from them. He stops the car, and he had a station wagon, and he was a body and fender mechanic. He had all these tools in his car. He reaches back, and he hands me a chain, <laughs> and he grabs two hammers that are flat on the top and pointed on the other end. And he sets the hammers on the dashboard, and he says, now I'm going to pull up, and when you get out of the car, start swinging the chain, and don't stop swinging. Okay? And he says... Uh, We'll get rid of these guys. Yeah, yeah. So he hits the gas as hard as he can. He comes roaring up and sliding to a screeching stop, jumps out of the car, takes the biggest guy, which is about 6'2". Yeah. My father was about 5'8". Yeah. And he walks up to him with this hammer, whacks him right in the forehead, the guy falls right on the ground. Well, I get out, and I'm swinging this chain, 
And once the big guy fell, the other ones start running. And my father says, you're not going anywhere. And he starts chasing him. Well, at that point, he's running away, and there's three guys running. Okay? The one laying on the ground, and the other two trying to help the guy up that's on the ground. And I'm standing there like a 14-year-old dummy swinging his chain, not hitting anything, just yeah. swinging him. Right, right. And the cops come, and they see me with the chain. Yeah. They immediately put handcuffs on me. And uh, this Ray's explaining, I'm not the one, it's the guy on the ground and the other two. So they call an ambulance for the guy on the ground, uh, which he was just knocked out. Yeah. He was okay. Just took I, a hammer to the face. Right. Of That's all. And, and they put the handcuffs on the other two, took handcuffs off me. So after a little while, we hear screaming and yelling, and it's my father coming, and he's got two of the three. And he's bringing two of the three back, and they're saying, please don't hit me again. And um, then uh, at, at that point, uh, the guy who was on the ground wakes up, and uh, he, he looks at me, and he says, tell your brother I'm going to get even with him. Uh, uh, he was talking about my father. Yeah, that's hilarious. And my father was, I think, what would he have been? About 54 if I was 14. <laughs> so, you know, anyway... So they arrest all of them. So that was my first time ever with a crazy bunch of people. And right. it, it happened down in the, around the Ukraine village in the city. Oh, geez. Oh, man. I've, I couldn't even imagine. That's, that's so crazy. So where were you at during this whole thing? He was in the service. Oh, that's right. I was, I, I, I was with all the German. He was, <laughs> he was in Germany. Fraulein. Fraulein. Some frowns, too. Yeah, I'm sure he had some frowns. <laughs> okay. Sticking with uh, the younger stories, what about um, going to, uh, like, Wrigleyville or something, right? Didn't you guys, uh, like, uh, hang on the fence and look over at the baseball game or something? Or? Well, no, we there wasn't a fence. It was at our uncle's house across the street. Yeah. Oh, okay. We watched the games from his living room. We have, have it on the radio and just look out the window and watch the games. <laughs> That's before they built stands on the roofs and all that kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and all, all, on all the bars around it, they got the rooftop thing where you can watch the game. It's right. pretty cool. But they got to pay Wrigley a percentage. Oh, I'm sure. So I don't know if have you guys heard that the MLB just put on a uh, pitch clock, I think is what they're calling it. So uh, it speeds the game up, basically, so it's... Yeah. A little bit easier to watch. I or, heard that the other day. Uh, the pitcher's got a time. Yeah. He's got to pitch the ball, and they made the bases bigger. Okay. I don't know about they're, that. They're home, larger. Oh, home, home plate. Home plate is bigger. Okay. Oh, I thought they said all the bases. Oh, I don't know. I just okay, and then they shortened the run, I believe, to the bases. Okay. To, to speed up because the Because the base is smaller. I mean, bigger. So it shortens the, the space. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Twelve inches short or whatever. Yeah, I don't it's know. good because it's a very slow and boring game. Of course, but so I heard the Chicago sports guys. I went to the game opener at Wrigley. It was a couple days ago, Thursday, I think. They said that it was nice. That it was faster. You know, you could get more action. You're watching. You're you're paying attention more. But he said that um, when he went to the bathroom, <laughs> it was the bathroom was okay, but the lines were crazy long. So everybody had to go at the same time because there was less. You know, lulls and everything. So once they got struck out, then boom, everybody left. 
and he said it was crazy. So he's like, Wrigley's going to have to open up more concession stands or something. My God, they can, they can handle in the men's room probably a thousand people at one time. No, well, sure they well, got you just have that trough. Yeah, yeah, and just stand alongside your trough. Oh man, that was so. I, I was a little kid when I first went. You're like shoulder to shoulder with two people. You have yeah. no idea who they are. You're just like, oh my God. Well, that's all right. First time I went. I wound up in the woman's oh, come bathroom. On. Yeah, and they have a trough too, but they all sit down. And I, I didn't know what the hell did I know? You know, I was what fourteen or fifteen. I didn't know. Yeah, okay. You're fifteen. You're going in the woman's yeah. bathroom. <laughs> chicken story. Chicken story. Driving around with the car with the big. Oh, chicken on the roof. Yeah. Yeah, I went for a chicken delivery place. And well, say the name because uh, are they still in business no, they're today? Not, they're not in business anymore. They may or may not have been connected to uh, certain people. No, right? no, they weren't. <laughs> they weren't. It was uh, a chicken delight, and, and uh, <coughs> he had a car with a big chicken on the roof. And drove around. And um, what car was it? It was a, a Rambler American. That's awesome. They don't even make them anymore. But. Uh, uh, one of my friends uh, worked there too, so he was driving one, and I was driving one, and we're in Chicago, where there's a bunch of one-way streets, and uh, just you know, it's crazy that we each happened to be at the same intersection at the same time. We actually hit each other and had an accident. <laughs> the boss went crazy, going, "How could you two idiots find each other?" So stupid. Delivering. He said it's too bad he had three cars. He said it's too bad some the guy driving the third one didn't come through. <laughs> so stupid. There was one time because I delivered food for you know many years, pizzas and everything, and uh, I saw the other driver on the road. We were both going back to the restaurant, and you know I'm waving, hey, yeah, we're, we're goofing around while we're both driving, and and then everybody slams on the brakes, and I have to cut over in front of him. <laughs> yes, I might his brakes. And, uh, you know, whatever. I'll oh, get to the restaurant in five minutes, and I get back. I'm like, hey, man, that was hilarious. And he's like, hilarious? You almost killed me. You're crazy. Why are you driving like that? He, like, freaked out on me. <laughs> well, do you have any good stories from when you were delivering people? Because I, I remember a lot of strange things. Oh, yeah. Strange people. Yeah, going up to weird apartment buildings or, uh, you know, people like, oh, come inside my house real quick. And you're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> There was one guy who he'd order all the time, super late at night, and he was far away from the restaurant. And he had like three huge, it was like two pit bulls and one Great Dane, or something, you know, big scary dogs. And every time he'd answer, smoking a cigar inside his house, and be like, "Yeah, here you go, take the money, blah blah blah." But one time he, he asked me to go get cigarettes for him on the way back. <laughs> it's like there's a convenience store just around the corner. Go there, come back. I'll tip you more money, blah blah blah. But well, I know a story. You can tell, Bob, what you told me a few years ago about the neighborhood. When you drive in the different neighborhoods, if the garage door is open halfway or all the way, or yeah, there's, the, there's a, a what a cantaloupe or a pineapple, pineapple sitting in the driveway. Yeah, all that means stuff. Is that somebody from Hawaii? No, no, it's like a, it's a swinger thing. Yeah, you never heard of that before? No. Yeah, so. I've lived a sheltered life. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I'm not a swinger, obviously, but uh, if you walk around the grocery store, you put a pineapple in the front, it's, you're walking around with your spouse, it's kind of like eyeing other people up. If you see them with a pineapple in the cart, it's like, oh, hey, uh, what are you guys doing tonight? Or well, Where the hell did you learn all this? 
So in the neighborhood that was close to the restaurant that I worked at, it was kind of an upper-middle-class area, I would say, and for whatever reason... The older people were telling the kids... They're all swinging, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the pineapple, or they'd have, like, a pineapple on their front door, like the a, a flag or a stone sculpture on the front yard or something like that. And then, like you said, I think the, the garage door halfway meant, uh, you know, <coughs> anything goes or something. I don't know. See, where I was delivering... The uh, it was in Oak Park and River Forest and uh, yeah. Austin area of Chicago, and uh, there obviously was some uh, uh, Italians living there that were involved in uh, uh, the underworld. Yeah, and uh, I remember one uh, uh, guy named, and he'd order all the time. And you go to his house, he had a he lived on a corner, and there's like a bungalow kind of thing. But there was a basement door, and you always have you go to the basement door. And uh, like, uh, you know, back then, this is in the 60s, something would have been maybe, uh, oh, like $2.50 or something, mm-hmm. and he'd give you a 20 Holy cow. You know, so, I mean, a great tip. So Yeah, yeah. You know, something you always wanted to do. But... At that time, he was head of the Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Right. He, he was the head of the. Yeah, call this guy. He yeah. was he was the head of the whole thing, yeah. and he'd actually come to the door. You know, That's insane. He, but see, when I did that, I remembered one thing about him, because uh, I think when I turned sixteen, uh, he had this old uh, fifty-five Mercury convertible. Okay. All right, and uh, my friend and I picked up two girls. And they said, uh, you know, they wanted a ride. So, of course, we gave them a ride. And the house was on a uh, side street, so I parked on the wrong side of the road. And we're sitting there, and uh, I'm parked with the car door open, and they're sitting in the grass, my friend and the two girls. So we're just sitting there talking, the radio's on, blasting right. as loud as it would go back then. They didn't go that loud. And all of a sudden, this limousine pulls up. And this guy gets out, and it was this, and he walks up to one of them and whacks her in the face <laughs> and says, get in the house, and tells the other one to get in the house. Yeah. And he says, get that piece of shit car away from my house. And I got in the car, and my friend, the top was down, just jumped in the back seat, right. and I took off. Peel out of there. Yeah. So when this guy's giving me that tip, I remember him about a year before going through that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness he didn't recognize uh, right. me. That's so funny. Well, later on, about three years later, they found him in the basement with a bullet in the head. Oh, my God. That's why you don't answer your own door. Shut Well, he, it was somebody he knew. Yeah. He let him in. Oh, man. <clears throat> Inside deal. That's horrible. Can't trust anybody. Who's, um? is it that uh, the owner lives right by the, uh, that big church in Barrington? On Barrington Road, you know what I'm talking about? I think it's, but, uh, anyways, big construction guy. I know, I know, the, the old man. The guy oh, you got to tell him that's, that's what I think it is. I, growing up in Oak Park, that's when they were building the Eisenhower Expressway. Okay. All right. Well, there, I was maybe, God, I don't know, 12 years old, something like that. Yeah. Know? And this friend of mine and I, at night, after everything closed down, everybody left. Um, we're playing around in this D8 cat. Now, you know how big those are. 
I don't even know what that is. And, and, well, your father would. It's a big, big earth mover. It's a dozer. Oh, right, right, right. All right. So D8K dozer. So I'm playing around. All of a sudden, the thing starts. Go, wow, this is fun. So all of a sudden, we get it moving, but we can't turn it. We don't know how to stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you just jump off the thing. Oh, you know, my God. You know, so it keeps going, and then there's a wall. There's a wall. With the Eisenhower Expressway below That's and the railroad tracks. It's probably, what, 40 feet? Yeah. And this tractor goes right over the wall. Oh, my God. Onto the railroad tracks. <laughs> okay? So, I, you know, it was on the news. They had a crane to move it and all this shit. So, and, you know, I just, you know. Because right away? Yeah. I, I, it was uh, not even a block from where we lived. That's you know? insane. So, anyway, we... Uh, I, I just forgot about it. So now years later, I'm leasing the shopping center. And the shopping center was in right next to Long Grove. So I meet this lady who wants to do a nail salon. And she says, I think I'll take it, but I want my boyfriend to see it, you know, and see what he thinks, and you can go over to the lease with him. Right. So I said, sure. So a couple of days later, I meet the boyfriend. He pulls up and he's driving a big black Lincoln Town car. He gets out and he introduces himself as uh, I'm trying to remember what the first name was. I think Joe. And um, sounds right. So he introduces himself and uh, we're talking. And we go through all that and he says, uh, "Where did you grow up?" And I said, "In the city, in, uh, in Oak Park, right near uh, Austin and the Eisenhower." And he said, "Oh, I built the Eisenhower Expressway." <laughs> He said, you know that neighborhood, I'll never forget, when uh, it cost me a fortune, some kids were playing on my tractor and went on the railroad track, and you know, I'm sitting with a straight face. Right, trying not to laugh. And obviously didn't say anything. Well, he, he was still pissed off about it. Of course. It. I mean, that, that happened in the, in the 60s. Or 50s, actually. Um, I, yeah, probably. Yeah, because they didn't build the yeah, ice in the house. It was like, uh, probably late 50s, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, but so what I was going to say is, uh, so I worked at this Chinese food place, Hunan, Beijing, shout out to them, up the street a little bit, right by the big church, Willow Creek. Uh, this guy had this huge plot of land. If I remember correctly, there was he had a, a huge mansion, a big garage, all spread out over the property, big, long, winding driveway up to the top. He had, like, you know, a couple machines in the yard and everything. It was crazy. Always, every time I delivered food, there'd be, you know, 20 cars on the driveway, and he's got the whole family there and everything. Super nice guy. He'd always give me, you know, a 50-buck tip, you know, very, very generous every single time. Um, but I never went to any, you know, famous people or anything like that. I guess he'd be the, the closest thing. You didn't live in Chicago forever, right? After you, you grew up, uh, you... You've lived in Florida, California. You had a gold mine in Montana for a while. Uh, a hotel in Lake Geneva that burned down mysteriously or something, right? Well, actually, it, it burned down and I built another one, a new one. Right. But uh, you, you've had uh, many different hats that you've worn. You managed that uh, Yankee Doodle fast food place, right? Yes, I had that. Why I had a real estate business. Right, real estate was kind of your main thing, right? Right. Yeah. Um, Had the gold mine. Gold mine. Let's go. Let's go with the gold mine. All right. Well, what happened with the gold mine? I, being in real estate, right. I had a guy that I did a lot of real estate with, named, and um, 
uh, real good guy, funny as hell. Um, you know, at the time, uh, oh, God, he was probably close to 20 years older than me. And uh, he, I had a lot of contacts releasing, but he had a lot of the big contacts releasing. And he and I worked on a lot of shopping centers, oh, probably 22 different ones in Chicago. Holy shit. So uh, we would do the leasing, but Don uh, and, uh, and I decided to spread our wings and we went to places like Oklahoma City and uh, uh, places in Kansas, okay. Phoenix, to do shopping centers. So it was, it was cheaper? Is that the idea? Well, in, in a, a new market where it wasn't so oversaturated right, where right. they needed it. Yeah. And uh, had an interesting way of doing things. He, uh, I, I guess I probably shouldn't name the company, but like a, a big national chain wasn't in this particular area. So he would call the guy up and say, uh, I think you should look at opening some stores here. And then also I'll arrange for a warehouse in the area for you. And I want to discuss all this with you. And I'm sending over some tickets for you and your wife, first-class tickets, to meet me in London. And we'll see a show. And he would fly them to London. He'd go there with his wife. And then while they were there, he would buy the guy a Rolls Royce. What? No kidding. And he shipped the Rolls Royce back. Holy all right? shit. Now... That guy would then go into the market and agree to opening up maybe four or five big retail outlets yeah. with big leases, leasing a lot of square footage, plus a warehouse. All right? So that would be like main anchors for the shopping centers. Right, 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 right. So we're off to the races, not having to pay any commissions to anybody. <laughs> Okay, so we'd start doing this. You know, That's and, crazy. Yeah, and uh, it only cost uh, was a Rolls Royce and a couple of tickets. Yeah, which it wasn't really that much money because a commercial lease, you know, you can end up paying in commissions over three hundred thousand dollars for one lease. That's crazy. But so, how often was he doing this to people? I mean, uh, his whole life. I mean, uh, you know, he was doing this. His he had a thing back then. He was from New York. And uh, he couldn't stand Donald Trump. Okay. And he wanted to make more money than Donald Trump. That's hilarious. He said, I want to be a billionaire. And he says, I'm not going to do it through real estate, regardless how many shopping centers I own and whatever I do. Right. And uh, so he had an idea with uh, one of his uh, wife's cousins to get into the gold mining business right. in Montana. So they bought into a gold mine, or actually started and went up from scratch. And they had a guy to run it, and uh, he's running the gold mine. And everything's going pretty good. They have 5,000 acres. And because he and I consulted so much and I worked with him so much for so many years, he said, come on out to Montana. And I said, I don't know anything about a gold mine. I don't want it. He said, come on. So, again, I was much younger than him. He says, uh, here, kid, why don't you invest some money in here with me? And I said, you know, I, I don't have money to invest. I, you know, I'm divorced. I have uh, two kids, you know, that I have to uh, pay for, two houses, and, right, you know, right, on right, and on. Right. So anyway, she says, oh, come on, look at how much money you made with me. So I'm like, okay, so I 
But two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth. And that was in nineteen eighty. In the eighties, I don't remember exactly what year. Right, right, right. Okay, so uh, I think it was early eighties. I think. Yeah, like the middle, middle eighties. Okay. It was before I bought the new boat. So and, was uh, this at the height of your <laughs> money making career? No, I had a couple of different money making careers. Right. Okay. Right. So, anyway, man of many hats. I was making good money then. I my hobby was. Uh, uh, jumbo CDs. I was collecting them. What? And uh, you know, and uh, they were all at Suburban National Bank. Well, anyway, we went through that, and he says, "Come on, you want to put some more? Look, we just made a bunch of money on another shopping center." And he says, "Come on, put the money in here with me." And right. I said, "I really don't know anything about this." I said, "You have more money than me. What the hell do you want my money for?" Right. And uh, so he says, "I just want you as a partner with me in the thing." So I said, "Fine, okay." So I put another two hundred fifty thousand in, which is about all I had. So I, everything is going along, and I go out, uh, out there. In fact, I took Bobby with me a couple of times, and Bobby liked it. And, I'm know, sure he met all the people that were invested in it. And, That's awesome. You know and. Then uh, I get this call that uh, was in the hospital being operated on, and he was shot. Oh, my gosh. And his wife was shot and killed, and his son was pistol whipped and almost killed. Oh, yeah, that was on the news even. Yeah, it was big-time big news. He, he had a house in Phoenix, and he also had a house in... Uh, Indiana or Indiana, Michigan? No, Indiana. Indiana uh, what, okay. uh, what the hell? Oh, right by... Oh, there's some other town. I forget what it's called. Anyway... I'm going through this, and I'm talking to his. I'm going like, who the hell did this? And they said, well, you know, who know? He had a few enemies, you know, people that uh, were annoyed with him. Yeah. I said, um, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll call him out in Phoenix. I was managing shopping centers for him out there. Okay. And he had some issues with his beard. Like, twice he had me go out with him to audit the books where his was oh, taking money from partners, yeah, and he had to cover the losses. And he had just asked me to go out to Phoenix with him again to do that the, the, the following week. Right, we already had the tickets and everything, and we were and gonna, now he's in the hospital. So, so, so anyway, long story short, he died with surgery. So he's, oh. he's he's dead, and his wife is dead. His son's alive in the hospital. So I call out to Phoenix, and I talking to his, and I said, I'll pick you up and drive you. To yeah. It wasn't, I forget the name. It was a high, high-end town. Okay. Expensive houses. And I pick him up at O'Hare, and I take him to this hospital in, in Indiana. And uh, I, I walk in the son's room with him. So now this is, and the kid grabs my arm and says, Bob, please don't leave me alone with him. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, what the hell is going on with this? Yeah. So I said, you know, fine, his name was... And uh, so he leaves the room, and he says, you know, there, there's issues, was issues between my father and... So anyway, um, he's then in the hospital, and there's the funeral. Well, he gets out of the hospital, and uh, myself and some other people are taking him for a day here and there yeah. uh, to keep him hidden from anybody, because he saw the... Uh, you know the killer, because really? the, yeah, the killer uh, came in and uh, uh, hit him, right, 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 but right. didn't hit him with a pistol.
but then shot his mother. Oh and then God. went in the bathroom and shot his father and came back for him. And he ran, there was a school across the street, and he ran across the street by the school. The That's terrifying. Right. So anyway, the, after hearing that, I started thinking about a lot of different things. So does a drawing, you know, with an artist of what the guy would look like. Yeah. So police are talking to me, or whatever police is, well, it wasn't, whatever, whatever town it was. They, they're talking to me. I said, well, give me that picture. And back then, the only thing you had really was fax machines. Okay. So I faxed this picture to one of the partners in the gold mine, who was also partners in the shopping centers out there, a guy named Reggie. His family uh, took care of all the real estate for the Belgium crown oh, since, since Belgium began in the 1800s, wow. became a, a country. Right. So. He uh, he actually had a Belgium diplomatic passport Whoa. and all this. So I sent him the picture, and he calls me up and says, I know this guy. I said, where the hell do you know this guy from? He says, he comes into the office where his brother's name was, where uh, his uh, office. I said, really? So I, I let the police know this. <laughs> so they go down, and they're, you know, viewing all this with him. When all this was going on, we hired a private eye, who happened to be one of the tenants in an office building I had. He taught kind of how to shoot a gun. Oh, my God. And gave him a little three eighty to carry. Yeah. Okay, for protection. And uh, they were bodyguards and private eyes. Well, they went down to the house, and they bugged the house, this house, mm -hmm. his office, and his car. Okay, and they were listening. The police go down. They bug the house in the car, in the office, and they're listening. Okay, so you got two, two not knowing the other one what they're doing. Yeah. Then, because this was across state lines, the FBI shows up. Holy shit! Well, the FBI now is aware of this guy, so they bug all you know the house, the car, and the office. Okay. And then they took everybody else's shit out of the house and told them to quit listening. We have this now. So they took over at that point. Right. Well, it wasn't much longer after that they arrest the guy. Yeah. The actual shooter. He confesses to everything. For confessing it, they give him a lighter sentence. Jeez. So then they have the trial with uh, the, which was a very interesting thing. The. Uh, they had me talking to the before they arrested him. On uh, tape? Uh, yeah. I was recording all the conversations. Wow. And I was like, well, how did you get involved in real estate and all this? And he's like, well, I worked for uh, Standard Oil at the time. And he said, I uh, lived with them in Indiana, and I would drive to work. And I said, well, how was it living in Indiana? He says, oh, it was great. On Friday nights, I'd come home, and uh, I'd go to Gary and get drunk and get a bunch of black whores, and, you know, just, you know, and I was all, you know, all night long. So anyway, in the courtroom. They played it? Okay. It's pretty much an all-black jury. Oh, man. All right? Because it's in, like, um, uh, God, what, I forget the name of this other town in Indiana. Uh 
It, w- it wasn't where they lived, but it was right next to it. Bloomington? No, no, no. Indianapolis. Indianapolis. It was just over the border from Illinois. Oh, okay, right. By, by Gary, okay. Okay. And uh, so it was an all-black jury. Well, in the, in the room, they had everybody put headphones on. So the the, the public couldn't hear what was going but on. the jury, okay. But the, but the jury could, and the people on the stand, yeah, yeah. whatever. I'm on the stand, and they're asking me about this tape. And I said, yeah, when it was, and I had notes on all the conversations. with, right. And uh, so they're playing the tape, and as they're playing the tape, you see every juror turn and look at him with just total look of disgust and hate. And he, he gave a look like, oh, well, you know, it's all over. Right, I'm done for. Mm-hmm. So obviously it was the one that paid the guy to do the, commit the murder. Right, right. And he's in a, a federal prison. In Del- oh, and my the, gosh. the shooter is out. He, he, he had, I think, 20 years, and he was out. This happened in 1980. Oh, my God. That's crazy. So how did you get out of the gold mine business? Well, what happened, because this happened... Um, There's instability in the company. Right, because myself was worth, uh, you know, a lot of mine, right? So any losses he could cover. There wasn't an income coming in. We had a mill. It was under construction. It had to be finished. And then the, the payroll. And the payroll could be up to 50 grand a week. Oh, my gosh. So we're going through all this, and I'm doing the best I can to help out. So are the cousins and some of the investors and whatever. I said, there's got to be a way out of this. So I got a hold of Newmont Mining, which was the biggest mining company in North America. And I uh, met the guy, went all through the property with him, and uh, he said, I I don't know if we're ready to do this right now. He says, I can maybe help you find somebody who can help you get it ready. So he gave me an Australian guy who really taught me the business. And we went around and hired surveyors and uh, surveyed the whole property where there would be gold, where there wouldn't be gold, and did a complete analysis of everything and what it was worth. And again, it's 5,000 acres, so it's a lot of land. Yeah, holy cow. While this is going on, the present president of the company is uh, trying to do a land grab of anything and everything uh, since Don isn't there. And he and I are battling it out until we got to the point that I uh, finally fired the guy. Jeez. So I fired him, and I have this new guy I'm figuring it out, and Brian had just graduated from high school. So I gave Brian a summer job to work with uh, – the guy surveying the property. So Brian. Brian is your son, by the way. My son, To the Brian, viewers, yeah. My Who's son, yours? Brian. We spent the whole summer okay. there living above a cyanide pit in the trailer. Oh, my gosh. So, but, but he uh, he had a lot of fun. The, the nights are very, or days are very long there. It, it doesn't get dark till 10 o'clock at night. Oh, my gosh. So after work, he goes sailing with a. Uh, my foreman's son, who was the same age, they had a lot of fun together. Gotcha, yeah. You're right. out in the wilderness. Yeah. Right. Oh, so, you have to tell them before, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're going to have to tell them the story when you're at the only restaurant in that area and the guy was a Vietnam vet and two movie stars. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's, I, I'd go out there and there, uh, the, the mine was maybe. Uh, 
80 miles from Bozeman. Okay. This is a, you know, a good ride, but out there you can drive at 100 miles an hour. Right. There's no speed limit on 90. Right. So anyway, there's a, a town kind of in between called Manhattan, Montana, and uh, a real good steakhouse. Okay. And uh, we'd go there for dinner. And I was there for dinner one time, and I'm sitting at the bar having a drink, waiting for a table. And uh, Ted Turner and Jane Fonda come in. Holy cow. Ted Turner had a, a ranch right by there. Yeah. And he comes in, and he uh, is uh, walks in and says, Hi, I'm Ted Turner, and this is my wife, Jane Fonda, and we'd like a table right away. They say, Very nice of you to come in, have a seat at the bar, we'll call you when the table's ready. He says, no, no, you don't understand. I'm Ted Turner. This is my wife, Jane Fonda, and we need a table right away. Yeah. And she says, well, the best I can do is go to the bar, and I'll get you a table when the one's ready. Yeah. You know, you're, you're in line. You're in the queue. And he says, I'd like to speak to the owner. She said, sure. So the guy comes out of the kitchen, who's a cook, and uh, he's the son of the guy that started the business okay. and, and took it over. So he's been in it his whole life. The place is paid for. They don't owe anybody any money or anything. Right. So he says, hi, I'm Ted Turner. My wife, Jane Fonda, we'd like a table right away. He says, well, I'll tell you what, Ted. You're welcome to stay. But that living bitch <laughs> can get the hell out of here. So they obviously turned and left. Right. And everybody, exactly. everybody in the place is clapping. Jeez. <laughs> so, uh, again, my listeners, uh, my average age is uh, 20 to 25. So maybe explain a little bit about Jane Fonda. Uh, Jane Fonda, during the Vietnam War. Jane Fonda is an actress. Yeah, she's an actress. And uh, uh, she was called uh, Hanoi Jane because she was on the radio uh, on the uh, the enemy's side. Right. Well, talking about well, how not only that, they had pictures of her when the American B fifty twos would fly over Hanoi. Uh, Hanoi Jane would be on an ack ack gun, and the gun was moving, and she was aiming at the B fifty twos, American B fifty twos. Yeah, there's tons of video of her protesting with the. Oh, yeah. the well, well she, she's eighty one, eighty two years old today, and she's still at it. Right, She's still yeah. doing the same crap. Oh, I know. Yeah, but, probably but, the hottest old lady, right? Yeah, yeah. Can she we is. agree about she that? Is. Yeah, she is. Yeah, but going back to the other thing with uh, this gold mine, uh, after running <coughs> the business and re-surveying uh, all the property, I went back to Newmont Mining, and they agreed to buy the property. All right. And it was a cash stock deal. Okay. And. Uh, uh, so they basically pay all expenses, all all debts, and whatever, a little bit of cash to everybody, but a lot of stock. Right. Okay? Which I, I thought was a great deal. So. And you just wanted to get out, so. I just wanted to get out. Right. Because there was all kinds of liabilities there. Of course. Well, we had a board, and I owned probably about 20% at that point. Okay. All right. Substantial? And substantial, but not control. Okay. So there was some other fast-talking idiot from Texas that said he had another gold mine that was a public company that wanted to buy, which would make this automatically a public company, a public stock. And even though the stock would be what they call lettered stock, 
where it'd be restricted. You couldn't sell it in the U.S. You could take it to Europe and sell it. Everybody on the board went for that deal instead of Newmont Mining. Oh, man. All right. So I'm cringing at this crap. Right. And uh, then uh, shortly after that, that uh, the guy from Texas goes bankrupt. Oh, holy shit. So it makes everything we have totally worthless. So I go back to Newmont, and they said, we already allocated our money elsewhere. Sorry, you can't do anything. Yeah. Then I get this letter from the Environmental uh, Board of Montana saying that cyanide pipe that Brian was living above, uh, it had a double, double liner of plastic. Right, the, du- right. the classic double liner. Uh, it leaked. Right. So... They're suing me. Yeah. And because at that point, I'm the president of the company. Oh, my gosh. So they're suing me for $70 million. <laughs> so that was the end of the gold mine. That was the end of the gold mine. Well, tell them about the, uh, the bricks you used to come home with on the weekends. Oh, when, when we were mining. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'd go out there usually every week for a couple of days. And when I'd come back, I'd have a duffel bag. And I'd throw uh, a couple of ingots of gold in my bag. They're bricks. Right? Yeah, yeah, they're the size of a brick. Yeah, right. And I'd bring them back, and uh, there was a uh, smelter in Schiller Park that we sold it to. No shit. And he would buy everything we had. Yeah. And uh, so I would bring them back. Sometimes we'd ship them by UPS, sometimes FedEx, uh, sometimes U.S. mail. It's crazy. All different kinds of crazy ways, but we constantly shipped to that smelter yeah. in uh, in Chicago. Or, you know. Did you have a ton of jewelry at that time? You're walking around with five I, chains on. No, no, no. That's no, no, bullshit. I, I, you had the necklaces yeah, and the rings, the diamond rings and all that? Yeah. yeah. You're on a gold mine. What are yeah, you going to do? Yeah, watch. Well, <laughs> well, the other interesting thing that happened, every time they take one of these ingots, they would drill in the top and the sides and the bottom and we take the filings, mm-hmm. and we would take them to get them analyzed. Okay. And uh, and I take a set and I put them in a bag and I tape it, and okay. figure what ingot it was and what shipment it was, and then I send off the other uh, sample to test it, and I would match that test with what they told us it was worth this from the smelter. Gotcha. I and mean, they always match. But over time, I had all these little envelopes of, of, all, the, of all these shavings of gold. Now, it wasn't 100% pure gold. Okay. It was uh, probably um, anywhere from 85 to 90 That's percent insane. because there was uh, silver involved in it. Okay. And, um, some you other need, metals. You needed other alloys to mix with it. Right. So anyway... Uh, at one point, I had all these envelopes, and I finally did turn them all into a, a guy and got quite a bit of money for it. I <laughs> that's, that's all right. You can scrape a little off the top yeah, of yourself, so, right? So, but, that, but that was interesting. I mean, yeah. I've actually been a 1,000 feet underground with dynamite going off. Holy shit. Right, and you've never experienced how dark something is until oh you're God. a thousand feet underground. Yep. I, I also had one. We were inside a tunnel, inside the side of a mountain, about a thousand feet in, and we were blasting uh, some dynamite. And uh, we went in it with it was an old gold mine from the 1800s. We went in with ATVs, so. 
we're in blasting, and they hit an uh, underground or underwater spring of water. So it starts. The tunnel starts the, flooding with the, water. The tunnel starts flooding. So we get on the ATVs as fast as we could. We're trying to go out, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, we start raising. Right. The, the the ATVs had uh, like big balloon tires. Oh on. my gosh. So they're raising up, you know, and so we we had two of them. Yeah. So we put them side by side, and we we're going side by side with the side each one side tires on the side wall. Right, right, of the right. The tunnel, and we're going as fast as we can to be together. And this thing is filling up, and it's getting so much water. We're having to put our heads down. Oh my god. And finally, we go flying out right. the end of it. Shoot out know, of it like yeah. a yeah. cannonball. But I mean, you know, that, that was a strange experience. That's like Indiana Jones. <laughs> well, I mean, it was really strange. And what about the feeling of all that weight? Because if you're a thousand feet into the mountain, you've got a million tons of rock on top of you. Yeah, but you, you know, it's, you're in the tunnel. You don't, you don't know it. You don't I notice mean, it. Whether it's a, a foot of rock or, you know, a thousand feet of rock. Right. It's right. just cool. Right, it's cold. Is there less oxygen in the tunnel? Right, kind of. Ah, no, there was air because it was open. Right, there, there weren't any lights though. That's terrifying. I remember hearing about when they were looking for Osama, and he was camped out in the mountains. They developed this missile that you'd shoot it into the tunnel, into the caves, and then it would explode, but it would explode into a huge fireball. And because of that, it would suck all the oxygen out of the. Well, that's the way most of them work. Okay. It sucks the oxygen out. Right, so basically everyone just dies inside yeah. because uh, there's no more air because the fire consumed all that to, to make it burn. Mm -hmm. Terrifying, crazy, crazy shit. No, I, I can remember going to Bob's house on one of the holidays in the summertime. And I'm looking, what the hell is this? I walk to the garage and there's a brick in front of the door. And I went, oh, okay. Then I go to another room, there's another brick in front of that door. And... So all the doors I'm going by, he's got a brick right. holding the door open. Big doorstop. Yeah, well, what the hell is all this about? And they're all painted gray. Yeah. So that's what he told me. So because of the holiday, he couldn't drop them off at the smelter. So he painted them gray and used them for doorstops. Nobody knows. So stupid. Well, it worked. It worked. Well, what was interesting, flying, going you know, through how you have to check your bags. Right. Well, you know, it would come, come up on the radar, these bricks. And then after a while, they knew who I was. And the guy would just put his hand in the bag and feel the brick and, you know, let me go. Right, right. You know, but, as long as it's not a bomb. Right. But they didn't know what it was at first. What about the hotel? Well, I... Is this might, before or after the gold mine? Oh, this was long before. Before, right. So you're, you're building up your, your, your real estate portfolio yeah. you're managing some fast food restaurants at this point I, right I, I took a fast food restaurant in lieu of a commission okay and that's how i got that and uh, and it was uh, you won it in a poker game it, it was a nothing business and i built it up into a, a good business right well you worked uh, it that's why yeah, I, I i worked it and my my partner and i each did yeah uh one week i'd work two days the other one he'd work three and then vice versa right my uh First ex-wife worked in the mornings. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, she worked at the place. And uh, we had, uh, you know, those roach coaches to go around to construction sites. And right, right. I had uh, 
30-some trucks come by. Holy cow. So I had a whole side business of that kind. And the people that own the franchise, because I put all that stuff in, you know, and, uh, how do I put it, just plain, plain wrappers. Right, right, okay. right. And they're going, your numbers don't really balance. You should be going broke with the amount of product you buy and what your sales are. Yeah. So. You caught on quick. Yeah, because you know you have to pay a pay a franchise fee for all. Of course, right. So, yeah, like you said, they you wanted or they wanted you to put their wrapper on and their yes, ketchup and yes, all, all yes, that sort of stuff. Yes. You know the, uh, uh, it's like my uh, drive-up window at the place at lunchtime. We used to have two runners outside taking orders. Oh well. Before people would come, so it would be ready for them by the time they got to the window. Wow. You know, I mean, it was really, and we had. Uh, Seven cashiers going. Holy shit! The place was very busy. Yeah. It was in it was in the middle of an industrial park. Okay, so a lot of people in and out. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're owning this business. Uh, like I said, you're you're building up your real estate portfolio, blah blah blah, and then you decide to buy a hotel in Lake Geneva. Um, it was actually just the uh, next town over from Lake Geneva, Delavan. Delavan, right. and uh, the. Uh, I, I bought it from a guy I knew that, that owned it, that lived up there. I had sold a bunch of buildings for him in Chicago. He used to live in Chicago before he moved up there. And uh, so I bought it from him, and it made good sense. And then I got a call on a Friday that the place was on fire. <laughs> and um, so, Do you remember who called you? No. I did. You did. Yeah, because I heard it on the news. Oh, okay. That's right, yeah. <laughs> well, you call him, hey, Bob, you should turn the news on. Why? Well, I, I, I remember I, uh, at the time I had a Corvette. Yeah. And I got a hold of my partner because I had a partner in the building. And he and I drove up in my Corvette. And uh, we pull up to the place and there's, you know, just, I mean, it looked like something from a movie. Ashes. There are flames coming up all over. The, I mean, and right behind the place is the fire station. This is really nuts. So anyway, this this place is burning, so there's a coffee shop across the street. So I go in the coffee shop, and I'm sitting there watching it. I'm watching the place burn. Watching your investment go so down the drain. So they finally got the, the fire out. So I said, well, you know, I may as well, you know, leave. So we're going to have to rebuild it and, oh my you know, whatever. Gosh. So I got a hold of a structural engineer and a contractor uh, that did build buildings like that. Yeah. And I said, you know, will you come up with me and uh, look at this? So we all got together, my partner and these other two guys, and we're driving into town on Saturday morning, and all I see is smoke. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Because right. the fire was out when right. we left last night. You know, it was just the top floor had, had been burning in the roof. So we pull up in front of the place, the whole damn building's in flames again. <laughs> the building next door is in flames. While we're there, I hear this huge bang, and it's uh, uh, nobody turned off the gas line. Oh my god! The gas line blew up, and you know the uh, the building next door and a half of mine went down. That's crazy. That says a lot for the fire department. Yeah, they, nobody turned off the gas. Yeah, that's so crazy. After, after they, and it was you know like embers, right? Still you know burning. Right, and there's, there's fuel for the fire. I mean, yeah. So. Anyway, the, the the building ended up being a total loss. So we had right. to totally rebuild it from scratch. Right. So I built, uh, 
Yeah, it wasn't a real big hotel, 60 rooms. That's pretty big. Yeah. But I built a, a big banquet hall, a big bar. You had a bar in it, right? a restaurant. Right, right, right. And the, the bar was probably the nicest bar in town, and I made it the busiest bar. I, uh, uh, like, did backgammon contests and stuff okay. like that in the bar. That's awesome. Uh, you know, and so it was really, really crowded. It, the, the bar did very well. Right. Because in the wintertime, there's no tourists, right? So you got to have something to keep money coming into the... Well, you know, all, uh, Wisconsin, uh, you know, there's a lot of drunks there. Yeah. So, so, I mean... It's a whole state of drunks. They, they like uh, having a nice new bar to come drinking. Exactly. Okay. And uh, the, the restaurant did well, you know, when the hotel did well. Right. And the uh, hotel, whether it was in the summer or winter, we did a lot of ski packages and oh, right, stuff of course. like that. Of course. And uh, all the hotels worked together. Gotcha. Oh, it was it was fun. Right. Is that hotel still up? Sure, it's still there. Okay. It'll be there a long time from now. The way I built it. Built like a brick shit house. I'd love to go back. That'd be fun to uh to go visit. Well, yeah, it was kinda neat. It was the only elevator in the town when I opened up the building. It was the only building they back had in nineteen twenty. I think nineteen eighty one. Yeah, early eighties. That's crazy. Well, there's good points, though, you, you didn't mention. What do you got? Well, during that period, you had your new wife working for you. Yes, I had to fire her. Yeah. But, but, but tell them the humorous story, though. Yeah, she was in your son's senior graduation no, class. No, no, she wasn't. No, she wasn't. But she, uh, to the listeners, yeah, yeah. He, he found a, a young new wife at this... Uh, business of his yeah well what he's talking about uh, when i was working at the hotel and my first wife was working there too right um my second wife because uh, she worked as a waitress i had her uh, go up and babysit my uh, two sons Jeez. oh my gosh so that's what he's talking about. right 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 family you gotta love it well, I, I mean, I went from that to a hotel out near Joliet. Okay. Which was an interesting place. Okay, I don't know uh, about that one. Um, it was on Interstate 80. And, uh, oh, yeah. There were, I don't know, put a bunch of strange people out that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, down south. Strange, strange people. You know, fights in the bar and all, all kinds of craziness. Yeah. And then... Uh, Went from that to just doing more real estate, and then I worked very hard at real estate. Built up a lot and made a lot of money again. Right, exactly. Okay, and then got divorced. And Lost it all. And no money again. And started again, and uh, uh, that's when I went out to San Francisco. Okay. And uh, that was in uh, 2008. When the, the whole market crash, whole market crash, and what we did was loan modifications. So in one year, uh, my partner and I started a loan modification company because uh, we already had a mortgage company, so we were licensed in all fifty states, and I was licensed as a broker, real estate broker, in I think uh, fourteen states. Oh well. Wow. So we did that and. We built up the biggest uh, loan modification company in California in a matter of a year. We had about 600 people working for us. Holy shit. We had offices in San Francisco, uh, Irvine, and 
I think San Diego and then also Las Vegas. And uh, then while that was going on, we were approached by CBS and we did a uh, uh, Saturday morning uh, show on questions on mortgages where people could call in on uh, CBS and uh, we would answer their questions and That's give so whatever, crazy. whatever we felt was the best advice. And then CBS, CBS was so happy with that. They had a, a thing at the time in San Francisco called Eye on the Bay and it was a 15-minute segment and then they had another 15 minutes to kill. So they asked us to do a show uh, the similar kind of thing yeah. on CBS TV. Holy okay, cow! At eight uh, thirty at night. Okay, which uh, was this? They're actually eight fifteen at night to eight thirty, which was uh, uh, this TV show where we talk about mortgages and yeah. we have guest people. We had the Secretary of HUD on. We interviewed him and uh, different things like that. That's it's so a, crazy. Very interesting. Yeah, because I pulled out all the microphones today, and you're like, oh, yeah, I used to have a radio show. I'm like, what? <laughs> I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it was it was fun. That's really cool. I didn't know that you were giving uh, advice on real estate. That's that's crazy. I mean, you could do this now. Why not, right? You put yeah. it on YouTube. You could, uh, you could remake your show. Well, I mean, people talk about these things. How you can buy real estate, you know, no money down with no money. Um, I could write a book on that. I mean, I did that my whole life. <laughs> Spent money you didn't have? Well, it's actually the bigger the building, the easier it is. Really? If you go to buy a house, you have to put a lot of money down. You can go buy a building and put nothing down. That's crazy. You just have to make the payment? Yes, you have to make the payment. Right, you're paying a shit ton of interest, but hypothetically... Well, there's a lot of ways around that, too. You know, how do you how do you get a loan like that? The way you get a loan like that is you don't go to a bank. You go to the seller. Gotcha. The seller wants to sell, we'll hold the paper. Well, you know, before this, you, you tell him what interest rate you want to pay. Gotcha. And it, it'll be under what the bank will charge, but it'll be more than he could get if he put the money in the bank. So, you know, that's the kind of how you arrive at a number. <laughs> so crazy. So what about meeting Donald Trump? You were in a, a boardroom with him at some point, right? No, no, not a boardroom. I was, uh, there was a... I put it a very interesting, well-known real estate man that I knew, a guy named Harry. Okay. And uh, he used He's to been be, on the news a lot. He he used to be he and his wife on the news a lot. Sure. I uh, worked with him selling property as a broker, but also uh, helped him sell some of his portfolio. And uh, I was in New York with him at a restaurant. Uh, he had sold Donald Trump. Uh, the Empire State Building. He owned it at one time and sold it to Donald Trump. Crazy. And uh, uh, he said, here, you got to meet this guy. And he introduced me to him. It was just a, you know, fast handshake. And, right, right, right. You know, meet him. Gotcha. Okay. I guess in my head I had this vision that you were doing this big no, deal with no, him and no, he said no. you're fired. No, and no, all that shit, no, you know? no, no, no. He, the, the one thing I came out of it, he, yeah. Seemed like a nice enough guy, but he seemed very egotistical. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say I thought you said he thought he was an asshole. Yeah, he was egotistical. <laughs> Crazy. Now he's going to jail. No, he's not. Or he's indicted, I should no, say. No, he's not. I mean, it's free advertising. That's what that is. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. He just wants to be in the news. Well, just when that happened in 24 hours, he raised two million, or excuse me, four million dollars. Right, right. For his campaign. His uh, yeah, his fans are crazy. 
And uh, half of the money came from people that have never, ever donated to him before. Or voted for him. Or voted that's for him. That's crazier. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, I, I think this little thing is going to help him a lot. I don't know why in the world he'd ever want to do this. It's, it's his ego. Be the president? Yeah. Why? Anybody who wants to be the president is an egotistical maniac, right? Well, he can play, play the game better because he's got a better air play, aircraft than uh, Air Force One. Right. He said the White House was a yeah. dump. And he can well afford the security that the Secret Service gives him. Right. So, yeah. But again, why would you want to then put yourself in that position? You know, if, you, if you're doing better and you've got everything that the president has and more. Well, you know. you've done everything. You've, well, you've accomplished I mean, everything. Well, what he says he wants to do it for is for the country. Yeah, but that's bullshit. That's not no, true. No, no, no. Not, I, no I don't think not, it is. No, it's not. What? He, Come on. He, no, no. No. You look at his policies. The one thing that pissed off all these people, okay, they cannot buy him. So what about in England? They have a cap on the amount of money they can spend on their campaign. What do you guys think about that? I think that's a good idea. Right, because then it takes the money out of politics and then it actually becomes well, who's the best candidate. If you can legally figure out a way to do it, because you know the way things are done here, there's all kinds of illegal money coming. Oh, yeah, of course. Like the speaking thing, that's what's crazy, is all the presidents, after they get out of presidency, and then they do speaking well, engagements. Well, well, there is another guy... Just north of us, with the same name as you. There's actually more than one. Really? Yeah. 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 I, and the one guy's in the real estate. Yeah, he's in the real estate <laughs> business. There's another one in southern Illinois that has the same name. Is also in real estate. Who's better looking? Because I kept confusing me with them. Okay. On my real estate license, it was a real pain in the ass. I'm sure. I think the guy's in Dundee is where he lives. That's funny. That's so close. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is Dundee. Yeah. We should get him on the show. There, there's another Robert. In, uh, uh, what, uh, what? Well, you can't see him right now because they're all underwater. Oh, are they? Oh, yeah. According to the news last night. It's all flooded? Everything flooded out. Oh, Where? man. Where? In, on Main Street, wherever the hell Main Street is. Damn, sir. Main Street is where I used to live, and he lives. Well, right. <laughs> he lives on Main Street. Okay. Yeah, you should call your son. Maybe uh, maybe he's floating away on a raft. That was on Channel 2 News last night. I didn't hear that. They had um, the fire trucks running up and down, and the streets were all flooded. And Yeah. Really? So uh, shout out to, to Cousin Bobby. You know, he's your son, your other son besides Brian. He's the fire chief, right? Uh, uh, deputy fire chief. Deputy fire chief. Uh, really, really great guy. He's my godfather. Shout out to, to Cousin Bobby. I'd love to have him on the show, too. I think that'd be a, a great episode. Well, he would love to do it. He listens to all your shows. Ah, that's, that's that's really cool to hear. Same thing with his son, you know, your grandson, Patrick. He's a, a cheerleader for uh, Kentucky Uni University of Kentucky. Yes, is it? Yes. Right, right, right. It's crazy. He'd be a really good episode. Nick, the whole family, I think, would be fun. I don't know. I was thinking about maybe on Easter or something, trying to set this up, and then, but I think that might ruin the party. You know, I think we should just hang out, you know. Probably. Set something else up for a different time, maybe. But they would gladly do it, I'm sure. I think so, too. I think it'd be fun. Okay. Uh, let's wrap it up. Thanks again for doing this. All right. Be before we wrap it up. Yeah. What do you got? I'll say a real quickie for to save it for the next time. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you the time I met Ron Santos. I don't know if you know who that okay. is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I was at his house. 
Really? Okay. And you don't want to tell that now? No, no, you want to shut it down, so we'll save it for <laughs> another time. <laughs> tell the story. Well, I had to go to Ron Santos' house. Okay. I was, it was for the job, and I parked in front of the house, and he lived in uh, North, not Northbrook. Uh, Northfield? I don't know, up north in one of the suburbs. I don't really remember now. Where was the naval station at? What town? Glenview. 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 He lived in Glenview. Oh, yeah. So I parked in front. I'm walking up, and here's an El Dorado sitting on the driveway. License plate, Ron number one. Okay. And then there's a Ford station wagon next to it. That was his wife's car. Right. So I, I go inside. Did it say Ron too? No. He said nothing, just a normal Illinois plate. So I go inside the house, and we had workmen in the house, and they're all saying, has he showed up yet? Has he? No, I haven't seen him. I said, oh, okay. So the house is like a, a bi-level home. <clears throat> and you come down from the second second floor to a landing, and then the stairs will go to the left and the right. So sure enough, here comes Ron. About 9 o'clock in the morning, he comes down, he stands on the landing, and he puts his hands on the railing, and he's looking, and everybody's, oh, there's Ron, there's Ron. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I don't believe this shit. So he walks over to me, says, I'm Ron. I don't know you. I said, well, here's my business card. (laughs) What an asshole. Yeah, I know. So uh, we talked briefly, and then I left, you know. You didn't get an autograph or anything? No, fuck no. no fuck him. <laughs> Crazy. But that's my experience with Ron Santos. That's awesome. And the funniest thing about it is, before I went there, I had no idea who he was. <laughs> I, I thought it was some Mexican. I really, I, I didn't know who well, he was. Well, you don't follow baseball. I don't follow baseball, yeah. It was, it was like when I lived in San Francisco. Yeah. And uh, because I uh, had these shows on CBS, they wouldn't invite me into their booth to watch the football game. That's so cool. So Dan and I are in uh, watching the football game, and this guy comes walking, and he's half drunk. And Deanne is like, oh, my God. You know, and I said, well, who's that? She says, that's the catch. I said, what the hell's the catch? Well, the guy that caught, um, caught the first football when they got into the first Super Bowl. Oh, okay, gotcha. He was the guy, the uh, – uh, Wide receiver, Dwight Clark. Dwight Clark. Oh, wow. So he came in drunk to the box. <laughs> yeah, so so he takes his ring off at the end, has his ring on. Oh, that's he, awesome. Taking pictures with him. <laughs> and then he looks at me and says, you don't have a clue who I am, do you? I said, no, I don't. <laughs> he says, you're not from around here, are you? And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> so he said, I used to play a little football here. I said, okay. That's funny. Very humble. Yes, very humble. <laughs> he would go from... Uh, Booth to booth at Candlestick uh, okay. Park. Gotcha. Talking to everybody in the different booths, giving autographs. And getting food yeah. from the different yeah. Right, of course. Well, more drinks. He loves it, yeah. He's, he's getting uh, handshakes so and by the praise. Time, by the time the night was over, the day was over, he was drunk. Right. <laughs> Pretty funny. Okay. You're going to wind it up? I guess we're wrapping it up now. Okay. Okay. Thanks again for coming on, guys. I, I, hopefully this is the first of many. I think this was great. You guys have a million stories. I'm sure we missed a bunch of stuff about all the different businesses and everything. Uh, 
I'd love to do another one. I think it was very good, though. Thank you okay. for doing this. I love love breakfast this morning. It was super fun. Before we we did recorded the show, we went out to breakfast and got pancakes and coffee, and it was it was a very fun day hanging out with you guys. So okay. uh, very good. Yeah, it's fun doing this. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Good Bye. night. Is that right?